Would you turn to Colossians chapter 1? And we'll be reading two verses. Colossians 1 and chapter, chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> We've covered verse 12 last week. And today we'll look into verse 13. All right. The word of God reads, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. Sorry, the kingdom of his beloved son. Well, last week we looked at verse 12. We've seen how fundamentally and crucial it is for us if we would want to live a life that pleases God We've got to constantly, without ceasing, that we ought to always give thanks to God. Giving thanks to the Father is the path that leads us to be joyful in Him and thus be pleasing to our God. Now one might say, well, this sounds really great, but I wish it was this easy. It's not for me. I'm not feeling like I like to give thanks. Well, why? Well, I'm going through severe trials in my life. I have fallen way too far into sin or perhaps I've been betrayed by a, a dear and close family member. It could be even all the above. And, well, it feels like my gratitude developed their own wings, left me and flew way above the cloud. I know that the Father loves me, but I don't sense it anymore. There seems to be like a, a thick, dark cloud between me and my God. Or in the language of the psalmist, God has hidden his face from me. I know that he is faithful. I know what the scripture says, that he will never leave me nor forsake me. But in the midst of my severe trials, in the midst of my sin in my life, I feel like he's forgotten about me. I wish I could be thankful. But I feel like I have no energy left in me to do that. Well, if this is you, my brother, I just have an advice for you before we even begin the message today. What should you do when you're in this condition? I would say to you, stop listening to your feelings. Stop. No, on the contrary, begin to command yourself to be thankful to God. Speak to your soul like the psalmist did. Speak to your soul and say, I've got to be thankful to God no matter how I feel. Because then what happens? Well, you'd be cornered, right? 
If you commit yourself to be thankful to God, you will have no choice but to reflect on His blessings. You will fill your mind with all the promises of God. And by His strength and through His Spirit, as you are giving thanks to God, you will rise above your trials. And you will begin once again to be grateful. And as you continue to grow in your gratefulness, contentment will fill your heart. And this contentment will give way for the joy of the Lord to fill you. The trials are real. And suffering is painful. But in, the, in, but in that, in this kind of attitude, since the joy of the Lord is your strength, as you commit to be thankful to God, you will be able to contain this suffering. This suffering will no longer control you. No, on the contrary, you'll be able to rise and to ride the storms of your life with a smile in your heart. You'll be useful to God and, and for His kingdom. Brothers, how important is it to be committed to give thanks to God? Is it in any wonder that though the Apostle Paul the scripture tells us that he suffered way more than the other apostles, yet far more than the rest. He expressed his contentment and joy in the Lord. Could it be because he cultivated this attitude of gratitude? What kind of church would we be? If all of us would devote ourselves to be thankful to God. So, Again, as we begin breaking down this verse and understand and go and plunge the depth of it, I ask you, brothers and sisters, open your heart and let the Word of God speak directly to your soul and do respond to this by giving thanks to God, for He is worthy of exactly that. Now, why should we be thankful to God? Why? Paul gives us here yet another reason to be thankful to God. Verse 13, it reads, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, one, one thing to notice here before we break down this verse, please notice what Paul encourages us to do. It is to, be, to begin to be thankful for the spiritual blessings. This is so important to understand. It is not so much the earthly ones, it is the spiritual ones. Or in the language of um, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. When the world wants to be thankful, what do the people of the world do? They rush to be reminded of the earthly blessings. And they say, well, we should be thankful that we have a roof over our head or food on the table, right? Why do they do that? 
Because to them, life is defined by earthly possessions. But what if they lose the roof over their heads? What if they have no more food to eat? Should they stop being thankful to God? If earthly blessings were the main basis for why we give thanks to God, I submit to you that Jesus had every right to complain since the scripture says clearly they had nowhere to lay down his head. How would you comfort Christ? How would you encourage Christ to be thankful to the Father? No, brothers, when we want to be thankful to God, let us first and foremost rise above this world. Let us Set our minds in what is eternal, not temporal. Now, don't misunderstand me. Yes, we are to be thankful to God for earthly blessings, for He is the one. Out of Him flows all earthly and all spiritual blessings. But far more importantly, we are to be thankful to Him for the spiritual, for the eternal. Let us be thankful to God for what costed Christ his own precious blood. So what are the, uh, the spiritual blessings that we are to be thankful to God for? Let us see these eternal blessings as we, that ought to propel us to go higher into heaven and wave flags of thanksgiving to our loving Father. Again, the verse reads, For He rescued us from the domain of of darkness rescued us he delivered us he drew us to himself now what did he draw us from we come to the first point the power of darkness we can look at the power of darkness we can look at the rescue mission second point and then finally we look at the glorious transfer so we're only staying we're parking here today in that, in that one verse. The power of darkness. Now it reads, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. This word domain, I humbly would say, it should have been actually translated to the word power. Not, the, not so much domain, but power. The power of darkness, and this would be even more consistent with the rest of the scripture. Like, for example, Luke 22, verse 53, where Jesus would say, While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. It's exactly the same Greek words. Now, what is this power of darkness? Ephesians 6 verse 12, Paul tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world of forces of this darkness. What is it? He says, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So if we would paraphrase this, I would simplify it and say, what is this power of darkness? It is none other than a satanic, dark, evil, demonic influence in this world. 
So since the fall of Adam and Eve, the entire creation is groaning under the curse of sin. Because of sin, the whole world has fallen victim to the power of the evil one, Satan. Let me read to you what the scripture says of the devil, Satan. He is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He is the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. 2. He is the ruler of this world, John 12.31. The power of darkness. It belongs to Satan. Now darkness, the word darkness, what does that speak of? It speaks of confusion. Darkness speaks of lies and deception. Satan is called the father of lies. John 8.44, he's the deceiver. So what does this mean, darkness? Well, imagine if we lived in darkness for a month. Suppose all lights are switched off. The sun no longer gives its light in the morning. The moon by night, no longer there, no stars, no candles to light, nothing. There is nothing but darkness. What kind of food would we cook? Clothes that we could wear? What medicine could we, could we take? Or what books could we read when we are in darkness? Nothing. Think of the traffic jam, the poverty. Think of the sickness. Imagine the chaos, the, the shambles, the confusion. Everything in this world would be like dog's breakfast. Nothing would make sense. So was our spiritual condition when we were under the rule of Satan, just like all unbelievers live in darkness right now, live in confusion, live in chaos. It would be absolutely anarchy if we lived for one month, and so is this power of darkness, anarchy. Now, one might say, well, wait a second. You're a bit extreme, aren't you? What do you mean? Well, not every unbeliever feels he's confused, that he feels he's in darkness. You know, just because they're not followers of Jesus, it doesn't mean that every single one of those that don't know Christ is confused or lost. Hmm. Many, many unbelievers are decent people. They work in decent jobs. They walk in integrity. They don't break the law. So, I suppose that that's not what you mean. That every unbeliever is in darkness. Well, I submit to you that is exactly what I mean. Let me explain to you. It doesn't say, for he rescued us only from darkness. He rescued us from the power.
power of darkness. And oh, how powerfully seductive are satanic lies. How deceitful is this snake. 2 Corinthians 11.14, it says, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, Satan, though he is a cunning, ugly serpent, what does he do? Oh, how subtle, how manipulative. He can transform himself and make himself look like a beautiful angel to you, though you may not even realize it. In other words, he is able to deceive all unbelievers, and they are so blinded that they are unaware that they are deceived. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are of God. And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In other words, Satan has the whole world lying into the power of his grip. Whether they realize it or not. No matter how decent or dignified all kinds of institutions. Or even unbelievers that, they, that work in these institutions seem to be. With the exception of the body of Christ, the church, all are within his domain. Whether law, education, medicine, government, media, he is given tremendous power. He's abusing his power to deceive all unbelievers. And yes, while an institution may present itself to be uh, honorable and dignified. It is only like a, a tool in a shelf of Satan and he will grab it and use it as he pleases, when he pleases. This is the reality that we're living in. This power is so enormous that when he deceives the world, brothers and sisters, this world is so oblivious to it. And they have no idea that they're being fooled by him. Now, please note, it says, power of darkness. Not kingdom, as some Christian mistakenly think. Not kingdom, power. God never gave the devil the world to be his kingdom. Only power. Man is ever meant to be ruled by God and God alone. And the devil does not have the kingdom. He does not have a kingdom. In fact, he doesn't even have a system that he abides by. He doesn't play by any rules. It's because the devil is a rebel. So nothing regulates his domain. Sometimes he comes across as though... You know, he's a good guy. He loves you and he makes you feel good about yourself. And other times what happens, he comes to you and he makes you feel terrible about yourself. He doesn't care. He doesn't play by the game. Nothing. All he cares about is how to destroy people's souls. So how does he use this power of darkness? He is in any kind of way possible to manipulate people. He blinds people's minds, affections, will, everything about their beings. He blinds them. They are in absolute darkness, though they may not even realize it. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. He blinds the mind. Look what it says. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Pay attention to this. In whose case, the God of this world. Who's the God of this world? The devil. What does he do? Has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He comes to an unbeliever and he would say, You don't really want to know the glory of Christ, do you? This is not so relevant to you. Why would you ever want to be saved from this? What if you get saved? You really want to live the rest of your life in such boredom, in loneliness? Leave this to the losers who, call, who are called Christians. You're brighter. You're much smarter than that. Lie after lie. So we have a world who looks down on those people that follow Christ. In the name of intelligence and brightness. I want to say that the reason why they're, follow, they're not following Christ is not because they are bright or smart. It is because the devil blinded their eyes. How else does he draw people and keep them in his domain? Well, he blinds their affection. Ephesians chapter 2. And it says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the what? In the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Brothers, this was us. We lived in this dark life, dominated by the power of the devil, enticed by all kinds of evil pleasure. He convinced us, did he not? He convinced us that the worldly pleasures and passions are far much better than the pleasure of pursuing Christ. And what did we do? We didn't stay where we were. No, we believed Him. And so we indulged. We plunged deeper and deeper into darkness. And what was the result? More darkness. More panic and fear. More fights and wars and hurt and pain, suffering and anger. And in darkness, we were all alone. Confused full of uncertainty, trying to grab onto anything to hold on to. We were so terrified of death, judgment, hell. But then, the wicked one, he cleverly would continue to deceive us. And he would come to us and whisper into our being and he would say, don't worry about hell and death. Why would you think of such things? Suppress thinking about these things. How? How, Master? How do, we, how do we suppress these things? Well, 
by getting drunk with more lust. More money. Entertainment. Intoxicate your mind with all kinds of lies and deceptions. And oh, how powerful was this darkness. Oh, brothers, wasn't this our lives? We were sleeping a sleep of death and we could not shake it, or not shake it off. Not even in millions could we have ever waken our souls from this deep sleep. This is the power of darkness. But then what happened? The rescue mission. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. Wow. We were dead, drowning in the power of darkness, unable to swim to the seashore of our salvation. But then what happened? The Father in His love for us, He sent the life God of the world to rescue us. Don't be mistaken, brothers and sisters. We were prisoners of war, held captive by the devil to do his will. The devil, the devil, he was the pretender to the throne of this world. But in the fullness of time, thanks be to the Father, he delivered us. How? By sending, like the text says, his beloved son, the all-time champion, Jesus Christ. Our conquering hero, our chief warrior, he is the true king. He is the rightful owner of this kingdom. Do you know what his purpose was when he came? 1 John 3.8, it says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose. What was his purpose? To destroy the works of the devil. No man, no woman could ever set himself from free from this power of darkness. All creatures were held captive by the tyranny of the devil. Only our Savior, whose power infinitely outweighs the power of the demons. His ministry affirmed these brothers. Remember, we've gone through the Gospel of Mark. He cast out demons, how? Just at his will, with a word. He would be ordering thousands of legions to come out of a man and then to enter into pigs. Demons were terrified of him, petrified. He conquered them in his personal walk. John 14 verse 30 says, The ruler of this world is coming and Jesus says, He has nothing in me. He conquered the devil in his ministry. He conquered him when he faced temptations. But the best and the greatest manifestation that shows how Jesus is the conqueror, the victor over the power of darkness. When, when was that? When he humbly offered himself to die. The death on the cross. Just a few days before Jesus was crucified in John 12, 31, he says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He'll be defeated. And then again in John 16, 11, he says, the ruler of this world has been judged. That was the day when he was yet just about to be crucified. 
Colossians 2 verse 15. At Jesus' death on the cross, listen to what Jesus actually did to Satan and his demons. When Jesus had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through it. Jesus stripped the demons of their power, unclothed them, undressed them of their authority, and they were left naked in shame. Oh, how thankful we should be. Jesus died to crush the head of the serpent, set us free from his tyranny. Can I ask you to turn? I don't normally do this, you know that, but can you please turn to Hebrews 2.14? Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, because I believe this passage is best speaks of how Jesus is our conqueror, overcoming the power of Satan for us. This is important to look into. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. And it says, Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself Likewise, also partook of the same. That is to say that Jesus partook a human nature. Now, why did he do that? Why did he partake a human nature to himself? Why did he die? That through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus defeated Satan. He's broken the spine of his power and authority. Now, why did he do that? What's the benefit? Verse 15. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. What does this mean? You know, some people of this world, they walk around thinking that they are heroes. The chest wide open, and they say, Oh, I don't, I'm not afraid to die, right? Heroes, I dare you. Go ahead and pick the biggest Goliath from the biggest gym, put him in a room face to face with his own death and watch him as he crumbles down and historically weeps for fear of death. And this verse says that we, like the rest of the world, were so terrified of death. How come? How come we were so terrified of death? Because death meant separation from our idols that we're strongly attached to, the things that we lust after, the pleasures that we're chasing after, our possessions were our God. And all of a sudden, if we die, we'll be separated from them. And all that is left for us is the dreadful, shrieking judgment and hell and fire. And the devil took advantage of the fear of death. And so we lived our lives enslaved to him. How true. How true. 
brothers and sisters. All men and women live enslaved because of their fear of death. We don't need to imagine what it will be like. We've just gone through it for two years. How foolish have people become because they were afraid of death. You know, for believers, death is only just an elevator that just takes us to a higher level, right? What thankfulness do we give to Christ? How, how we ought to sing with the, with the song that says, You rescued me. You picked me up. Oh, oh Lord, you have rescued me. Through Jesus' death, he rendered the devil powerless. He plundered his prison. He broke the chains of our bondage. He freed us. We who were the devil's captives. Believers, you have absolutely no reason to fear death any longer. Why? Because though Satan had the power of death, Jesus is now called the Prince of Life. And he says, I have the keys of death and of Hades. What does this mean? It means that Jesus plundered the keys of death. Our redeemed, our Redeemer, beloved, the one whose name is love. He now has all authority to say who is sentenced to hell and who is freed to enter into his kingdom and live. So we have no need to fear death, nor the devil, but rather sing aloud with Paul, who says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to our Lord. He rescued us. He rescued us. This is the second point, the rescue mission. But aren't we thankful even all the more? The Father did not just rescue us only to leave us wandering aimlessly. No. We come to the third point. Glorious transfer. And the verse continues and it says, And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This word transferred, it speaks of deportation, of a, of a conquered population. You know, like you're moving into exile from one country to a whole new land. Now, if, if you pay closer attention to the word transferred, it's a past tense. It's, it's like um, the, the other two verbs prior to that qualified and rescued. It's a past arrest tense to be precise. Meaning it was done and dusted. Successfully completed. It is not a gradual process where he continually, slowly, over a period of time um, transferring us. No. It was a once-off event. Hallelujah. The mission accomplished. And we are already transferred we are already in the kingdom 
So this kingdom here, it's not talking about the future millennial kingdom where Jesus will reign for 1,000 years and will reign with him. No, this kingdom is already here and now. It is the spiritual reality that we are living in in present time. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. If we know the depth, if we just know the blessings that come, the benefits that come from being in this spiritual kingdom. This reality that we're living in. What sort of kingdom that we're transferred to? The kingdom of His beloved Son. Earthly kings. What did they used to do in the past? They used to deport people who were defeated in war and they would take them from a place where they felt comfort and secure to a whole different place that is so much worse than where they were. But our Father, when He rescued us, He transferred us to a glorious kingdom. Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Brothers, we were immigrants, refugees. Now we are citizens of the greatest kingdom in the world. We were slaves in this dungeon of Satan. But now we are free. We are free in the kingdom of Christ. We have the liberty from the power of darkness. We were in darkness, but now we're in the light. He transferred us from darkness. Where are we? We're in the light. What does light mean? It means clarity. It means sense of direction. It means truth and order in His kingdom. What is a great kingdom without a great king? Again, reflect so that you would be thankful to God. Let us reflect on this verse again. It says, the kingdom of whom? His beloved son. Jesus is the one, the only one who was ever able to defeat the power of darkness and its prince. He's the one who is worthy to be the king of this kingdom. Brothers, not only is he worthy to be a king because he conquered the devil. But he also conquered the hearts of his citizens with his unparalleled strength. Boundless love that he has for them. His beauty of his flawless character. Christ won the heart of his people. And we are most gladly, we boast to say that we are his subject. That he is our king. And we would never forget that he is the one, he is the king that took us out of the grip of the tyranny of the devil. He joined us to himself. Joined us. Mysteriously, powerfully connected to our king. Such that the scripture says that he is our head and we are his body. That he is our groom and we are his bride. We belong to him. The scripture tells us we died with our king. Our lives are hidden with him. We were raised with him. We are seated with our king in the heavenly places. 
all of his strength and power available to us. All of them. Our king, he sympathizes with his citizens when they are weak. He defends our case when we sin. He is so lowly in heart and gentle with us when we are heavy burdened. Dear brothers, what kind of king that you know that would stoop down and scrub the dirty feet of his subjects or serve them or loves to heal them when they fall and are wounded? Behold our king. As a result of this, do you know what the scripture says? This is beautiful. It only gets better. First John 5.18, it says, He who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Does not touch him. We are totally rescued from the power of darkness. No longer does Satan have any power over us. Yes, once in a while, while we're living in a kingdom, we may foolishly hear his voice, foolishly fall into his trap. But then what do we do? We get up, we wipe the dust, and then we continue to follow the rules of our king. In other words, once you are in the kingdom, you're always in the kingdom. The devil has no claim over you. He can't touch you. Not only does the Father rescue us from the power of darkness, but He keeps us by His own power. And that King would send a warning message to all the demons of hell, like it says in Zechariah 2.8, whoever touches us, touches the apple of His eye. Such that we can sing with Paul, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're a believer this morning. Know this, that God rescued us from our deepest misery and transferred us to the, our greatest delight. From the darkest dominion to the brightest kingdom. How can we hold back from thanking Him from all of our hearts? Brothers, if God only rescued us and then left us wandering aimlessly in this empty space between heaven and hell, still, how should we but offer Him thankfulness for the marvelous work for rescuing us? But that's not all that He did. And if he rescued us and transferred us, not so much to the kingdom of his beloved son, but a kingdom of angels where we can still worship God. 
how much all the more should gratitude fill our hearts to be so near to him like angels are. But that's not what he did. He rescued us from our lowest condition. He lifted us up to be seated with Christ and in Christ to be our king in the highest of heaven. How can we not be dumbfounded by this? How can we not with all our lives and for the rest of eternity have a smile in our hearts and offer God thanksgiving for all that He has done for us? How can we not please God by thanking God? We owe Him all our lives. How can we not be thankful to Him? Friend, if you're an unbeliever and you heard this, you are in the power of darkness. Not until you come to Christ. Not until you throw yourself at His feet and say, God, have mercy upon me. You are chained in the power of darkness. You may not even know it or realize it. You may not feel it, but this is the reality. And the fact that you're not feeling how captivated you are, how much of a prisoner you are in a dungeon of Satan, it doesn't mean that you're not a prisoner of him. It just means that this power of darkness is so great that you're not even aware of it. Beg God, beg God to have mercy upon you. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Cry out to Him. Tell Him, save me from this power of darkness. Set me free from being Satan's captive. Give me to know what it's like to be in your kingdom, God. Beloved. Son, God, who is perfectionist, so perfect, looks upon his son and he says, he's a beloved son. How could we not love him too? Come to Christ. Come to him and tell him, show me how loving Christ is. Father, if you are convinced that Jesus is so lovely, would you open my eyes to see how lovely He is? And brothers and sisters, if you are truly going to begin this life of thankfulness, may we never live this hypocrite life where with our mouths we say, Thank you, Father, you rescued us, you transferred us. But with our lives, we say, no, there is something far more pleasurable in this world to pursue after than Jesus Christ. No, on the contrary, as with our mouths, we thank him. Even with all of our lives, we throw it behind what we say with our mouth. And we pursue Christ as he is indeed 
the most pleasurable and the most satisfying being in all of this world. Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You rescued us. You rescued us from the dominion, the power of darkness that is so deceiving. And as we see even today, multitudes have been deceived by it. Oh, you had mercy upon us and you saved us, Father. You saved us. You transferred us into the kingdom. We are free to enjoy your son, Jesus. Now we are with him in one, one spirit with him. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. Cause us, Lord, to enjoy him. Cause us to delight in him until we see him as he truly is face to face. Oh, we we're yearning for that day. We're yearning for that day. Come, come, Lord Jesus. Come, King of the world. Your church is waiting for you to come. In Jesus' name, amen.